Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. One semester of law school. One semester of criminal justice. Two experts. I'm Kristen Caruso. I'm Brandi Egan. Let's go to court. On this episode, I'll talk about the kidnapping of Brooke Hart. And I'll be talking about a fatal attraction. Ooh. Oh no. Brooke Hart, that sounds familiar. You probably researched the crap out of this person and then decided not to do it for your kidnapping series. You think? Yeah, you didn't have the nuts. Oh. But let me tell you something. You have the nuts? I got the nuts. He's got the nuts. (laughs) (laughs) You guys, there's something that is horrifying all of our patrons. Yes, there is. (laughs) This week, we released a video on there for Supreme Court members. It's Brandy's cottage cheese jello salad recipe. It's hilarious. It looks disgusting, sounds disgusting, tastes delicious. Well, according to Norm, it also tastes disgusting. Norm hated it. We made him try it. Well, you know, we're doing our Midwest recipe videos on there. Yeah. And... Some stuff you just have to like come out of the womb eating it. Yeah. Otherwise, I mean, you can't be introduced to cottage cheese jello salad when you're 23. It's just not going to work. Yeah. That's probably an accurate statement. Yeah. Norm hated it. But the rest of us had like 12 Someone's response to it was like, Are you guys okay in the Midwest? (laughs) The answer is no. No, no, we are not. We're freezing. And (laughs) is it spring yet? (laughs) I'm very excited. Mm. Mm. Which also means excited in English. <laughs> Very excited for my case this week. Oh, good. I don't couldn't care less about your case. <laughs> you love kidnapping. I know. I'm just kidding. Jerk. I thought you were going to say that you were excited about my case. Um, a fatal attraction. I, I will get more excited as I know more. But some of your cases. Well, let me give you this little tidbit. What? It comes from an episode of Dateline. Okay. And okay. our boy, <gasps> Keith, Keith Morrison. Morrison. And you would not believe this episode, what we get to hear him say. Whore <laughs> and ho. And it was amazing. <laughs> <laughs> did he look as... Um, did I'm going to stop you right there, Kristen. What? what? Because I only listened to the episode. I didn't actually see it. Damn it, Brandy. So Dayline has done this amazing thing, which I guess I'm now plugging Dateline's podcast. <laughs> Well, you know, it's kind of a David and Goliath situation. <laughs> David doesn't go around saying Goliath is so big and so great, you know? We're not celebrities, Brandy. We have no funding behind this. Well, Dayline has done this really cool thing where they've turned their episodes into podcasts. Mm. And so I listened mm-hmm. to this episode. I did not actually get to watch it. Yeah. I try. I attempted to watch it, and when I went to Datelines, I, you know, did a little Google search, mm-hmm. comes up on beep, 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 NBC's beep, beep. website, click on it, ooh, watch the full episode, great, click on it, this episode's no longer available! Yeah, heartbreaking. It was. Heartbreaking tale. Anyway, you heard about this little show called the Joe Rogan Experience. <laughs> the who? <laughs> what? <laughs> I swear. So I don't really listen to that one. I've never listened to it once, but it's the number one podcast in all of podcasts. The few times I've listened, he always brings up bow hunting. Bow hunting? Yeah. 
Huh. I am starting to surmise that he might be a bit of an alpha male. <laughs> you think? <laughs> now, as I mentioned, I've never listened to an episode of his podcast, but what I believe that I remember from when he did stand up mm-hmm. is that he doesn't like cuss or anything, right? So it's like good, clean, wholesome. I, Brandy, I think he curses quite a bit. I thought that was his whole thing when he did stand up, is that he didn't cuss during his stand up. I think you're thinking of Will Smith. Because Will Smith don't got a curse to sell records. But I do. So fuck him and fuck you too. (laughs) Joe Rogan, comedy, clean. I'm going to find an anything. Yeah. Did I just make this up? You might have. Do you know? Well, hold on there. Do you know who didn't curse in his comedy? Uh, Bill fucking Cosby. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, I'm not thinking Bill Cosby. Yeah. Bill Cosby with his... Kristen, Joe Rogan is a white male. I know the difference. <laughs> I'm not saying you got them confused in that sense, but we're talking about comedians. You two black males as if I don't know the difference. <laughs> no, Brandy. I'm just saying. Listen, I'm a... I don't know where I pulled this information from. You didn't pull it from anywhere. You fabricated it. By the way, are you going first or am yeah, I? I go first. Um, you would never know it. <laughs> Now I need to find find out. Brandy, you are never going to find it because Joe Rogan is not a clean comic. He curses every now and then. He's like us. He's just like us in every way. Successful. <laughs> a bow hunter. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know where. If anybody can weigh in on this topic, that would be great. Thank you. Anyway, Kristen, stop distracting me. Let me get to my case. Well, we never really plugged... Okay, the Patreon. If you want to listen to bonus episodes, if if this fine banter wasn't enough for you and you must hear more, at the $5 level, you get bonus episodes, you get into the Discord, you get to vote on topics, you get case updates at the $7 level. You get all that, plus a sticker, plus a monthly bonus episode, plus our lovely autographs. Ooh. Mm. Ooh. Oh. The list goes on and on. Mm-hmm. All right, can you stop talking so I can do my case now? I sure can. Wonderful. <laughs> like to give out a couple shout outs here. My boy Keith Morrison, of course, because the majority of this comes from an episode mm-hmm. of Dateline. Anastasia in the Discord, who recommended this case. Sweet. Oh, okay. So this was one of those weeks where I'd like started reading like four or five different cases and just nothing was speaking to me. Oh. And then. Not gruesome enough for you. That's exactly right. And then just like on Monday, Anastasia recommended this case in the Discord. She was like, this one has it all. And boy, was she right. Oh, God. Oh, God. So I called Dibs. I called Dibs immediately. (laughs) (laughs) And then lastly, what doesn't come from the Dateline episode comes mainly from this article in the Daily Non-Purell. Ever heard of that thing? The Daily Non-Purell? Purell. Purell. (laughs) No. (laughs) Non-Purell. It means it's unparalleled. No. Um, mm Mm-hmm. I've never heard of it. I believe it's a Nebraska or Omaha-based newspaper. And Is article... Nonpareil a town? No, it means unparalleled. Kristen, I just explained that to you. I thought you were joking. No! Oh, okay. <laughs> okay, so much. I had never seen this word in my life before. And I was like, they named their fucking paper this? And then... what? Were you distracted? I No, I had to look down at the notes that we share because yeah. I was like, I've got to see how this is spelled. So I'm sorry. I had to look. Is it Latin? Kristen, I didn't look that much into it. But here's <laughs> what I know. I looked up the pronunciation and the definition, and here we are. Anyway, that article is by a man named Brian McCormack, who I'm sure is great and loves working for the non Perile, maybe? Don't ask me. I'm I'm the one who's wanting more information, and you're just... Perile. Clueless. <laughs> I am clueless. 
Anyway, doesn't matter. It's a, a great paper with a great article. <laughs> let's jump right in, finally, after 43 minutes. <laughs> I don't of- think you're allowed to say let's jump right in when we've been talking for half an hour. Dave Krupa was hating his life. A couple of weeks ago, this self-described commitmentophobe was questioning his whole outlook on love because this seemingly perfect woman had been dropped as if by fate itself into his life. But now... That perfect woman. You're saying it in the Keith Morrison voice. Had turned into a nightmare. After just a couple weeks. That's right, Kristen. I'm going to say that she was never the perfect woman. You are going to eat your fucking words later. Oh, no, is he the bad guy? (laughs) Damn it. This is why I hate your cases sometimes. It was fall of 2012 when Carrie Farber walked into an auto shop where Dave worked. They immediately had a connection. Dave reportedly said that she was one of the most beautiful women he'd ever seen. Mm -hmm. But he was at work. He was representing his company. And so even though he found her very attractive and wanted to... only hit on her a little bit. No, he wanted to hit on her, but he didn't. He said that he thought that would be extremely inappropriate. And so he didn't. Okay. Though he felt that she kind of returned, there was definitely like a little chemistry between them. So she gets worked on on her SUV, leaves, nothing more. A couple weeks later, Dave is on a dating app or dating website. Mm -hmm. And uh, he stumbles across a picture of that woman who'd come into his shop that day. And he immediately recognizes her and sends her like a cute little message like, hey, I know you. Mm -hmm. And Carrie responds almost immediately. And she's like, oh, my gosh, I know you, too. And they strike up a conversation and they decide to go out on a date together. So it was very much she by fate was brought back into his life. He'd missed this, hadn't taken this opportunity to ask her out initially. And then here she showed up on this dating website. It was like it was meant to be kismet, if you will. (laughs) I'm glad we finally learned a new word. That's exactly right. So they go out on this date and it's amazing. They hit it off immediately. It's um, late October, early November when they go out on this date. They go out to dinner, have a great time, and they go back to Dave's apartment. They no more than walk into Dave's apartment when there's a knock at the door. And at the door is Dave's ex-girlfriend, Liz. So her name is like Shanna or Shana Gallier, G-O-L-Y-A-R. But she goes by Liz, her middle name. So there's Liz standing at the door. And Dave's like, oh, this is fucking awkward. I've got, I'm on a first date here with uh-huh. this woman. And my ex-girlfriend shows up at the door. So she was coming around to apparently pick up some belongings that she'd left at Dave's apartment. What? Yeah, and just had terrible timing. And so Carrie was really great about it. She was like, no big deal. I'm going to go ahead and go. You take care of this situation. When you're done, give me a call. No big deal. Huh. So she leaves and this Liz woman comes in. They pass each other briefly. No words are spoken. It's just like a brief interaction as the two pass each other. Carrie goes home. She lives about an hour away. So Dave lives in Omaha, Nebraska, and Carrie lives in a very small town in Iowa called Macedonia. So Omaha is right across the river from Iowa. And so she just lives like across the river. It's about an hour from Omaha where Carrie lives. And she's, it's a very small kind of rural town. She lives out in the country. So she goes home and she's only home a short time when Dave calls her and he's like, I'm so sorry. I got that taken care of. I apologize. So I'm, I'm sorry. Yeah. So they're at his house. Yes. The girlfriend drops by. Ex-girlfriend. Ex-girlfriend drops by. Unannounced. Unannounced. Pops right in. Right after they get home from this date. Yeah, just pops in and it's like, hey, Who I came pops to. pops in? I agree. Yeah, I think it's super fucking weird. 
Yeah. But Dave was so impressed by how Carrie handled herself. She was like, hey, this stuff happens. No big deal. Call me when you're done. And so he does. And Carrie's like, yeah, I mean, if if you're still wanting to hang out, you can come out to my house. We can have coffee, whatever. And Mm. so Dave makes the hour drive Mm. out to Carrie's house. For the coffee. Or whatever. (laughs) (laughs) So he gets there. They're sitting on the couch. At this point, according to Dave, they've not even so much as kissed. They're sitting on the couch. They've got coffee. They're talking. And Carrie looks at him and goes, you know, if we're going to have sex, like, I'm totally down. What? I'm totally down for it. But that's all it is. I'm not. Mm. I've just started this new job. It's kind of a big deal. You know, I don't have a ton of time. I'm a single mom. I don't have a ton of time to devote to a relationship. But if you want to have like a casual relationship, I'm totally down for that. And that's all it's going to be. And so Dave's like, I hit the fucking lottery here. Like this woman who is so beautiful is telling Mm -hmm. me this guy who's terrified of commitment that she doesn't want one and just wants to be, you know, friends with benefits or, you know, hang out when we have time. So I'm basing this off one couple I know. Uh Uh-huh. These things never work. You always fall in love and get married. Okay. That's my advice. To wow. <laughs> Who's the one couple you know? Well, I'm not going to name them. Oh. That, that might be kind of embarrassing You're to right. them. You're right. That probably is. <laughs> I apologize. But yeah, they started out as just, mm. just a, or something, you know, Ooh. coffee or something. Coffee or they, something. They were just the or something. Right. And now they're married. Excellent. Mm-hmm. We'll see if that's what happens for Carrie and Dave. Spoiler well, alert. It's probably not. not yeah. <laughs> Brandy covers a lot of cases where people just get married and And have happily ever after. So things go on like this for a couple of weeks and it's great. So Dave's apartment is very close to Carrie's work. So on her lunch break and his lunch break, they'll meet up and have sex at his apartment, whatever. She'll come over after work sometimes. Great. Now it's the beginning of November and Carrie takes on this big project at work. She's got like a week till deadline and she's going to have to work long hours. And what so does she, she do for a living? She's a computer programmer. Okay, okay. She's got this big project and it's mm-hmm. like, like I said, coming down to deadline. And so she talks to Dave and she's like, hey, I'm going to be working long hours. Would it be cool if I spend the night here a couple times so I don't have to drive all the way home after right. those long hours? And he's like, absolutely. He's like, yeah, you can stay here all week. That's totally fine. No big deal. Mm-hmm. This is what I'm telling you. <laughs> and so that's the arrangement they make. And so her teenage son is still in high school. And so she lets him know, hey, this week I'm staying in Omaha. You're on your own. And he's old wow. enough to take care of himself. And his grandma lives nearby. So it's not like a big deal. And and he knew that she was under a lot of pressure at work. And so he was totally understanding and was like, cool, mom, whatever you need. Um, I'll call you if I need anything. So it is November 12th, 2012. How old is the teenage son? Do you know? He's 15 or 16. Okay. I'm just thinking any teen- teenager would be like, yeah, sure. Yeah, absolutely, mom. Yeah, no problem. I got it, I got it uh, all under control out here. So for some portion of his life, because Carrie got like unexpectedly pregnant in college, was not with sure. his father. So she had uh-huh. been a single mother for some portion of his life. They lived with his grandmother. So, so it was like having a second po- parent yes, exactly. in the neighborhood. Exactly. Gotcha. Gotcha. So, okay. So it's November 12th, 2012. And um, no, I'm sorry. It's November 13th, 2012. And Dave gets up for work and Carrie's up already getting ready for work and he gives her like a kiss and they are doing like a funny like you know 50s married couple routine have a great day at work honey see you when I get home and he leaves for work and everything's great and then 
it's like 6.30 in the morning or so when he leaves for work. And oh, no. Carrie Does was the gonna, girlfriend pop over? Carrie was going to leave, you know, shortly after and head in for her job. She was like messing around on her computer a little bit. And then all of a sudden at like 10, 10.30 that morning, Dave gets a really odd text from Carrie. It says something oh, to no. the effect of, I need to move in with you. Or we need to take this to the next level. We need to move in together. Something to that effect. Okay. And Dave's like, what the fuck? Yeah, this comes out of nowhere. And why would this be done via text? Yeah. And so he responds like with a knee jerk reaction immediately. It's like, no, we've only known each other for a couple of weeks. Yeah. And Carrie like flips out over text message. She says she never wants to see him again. She can't believe he'd react that way. And it goes very badly. Mm Mm-hmm. And Dave never sees Carrie again after that morning when they kissed goodbye. Okay. But he sure heard a lot from Carrie because over the next several weeks, into months, into years, he would receive all kinds of crazy messages, emails, Facebook correspondence from Carrie Farver. It was as if she'd completely like turned into his ex-girlfriend, completely flipped out, completely gone off the deep end and it turned into this completely different person. But no one could find her, including her family. Uh... She completely disappeared off the face of the earth. She left her mother and her son and she sent them messages. She sent them text messages and Facebook messages explaining that she one day she had just decided it was enough. She was quitting her job. She was moving to Kansas. Okay. At first, her mother was very alarmed by this. But Carrie in the past had had some issues with depression and like for long periods of time wouldn't be able to get out of bed. And she also then would have the opposite, like manic periods. And so ultimately she was diagnosed with bipolar disorder. But for years now she'd been medicated and was very well regulated and had had no issues. Right. But her mother was like, oh my gosh, maybe she's... Maybe she's having like a bipolar episode or something like that. And so initially her mom was like, okay, tell me what you need, you know, whatever. And her son was like, you know, come back. Don't just leave. And his mom through these messages was like, just move in with grandma. Um, She'll take care of you so you can finish high school. Or you can come to Kansas with me. And he's like, I can't come to Kansas with you. Like, No one's going to say that. Yeah. Yeah. And so this is kind of what went on for the next, as I mentioned, weeks into months into years. And the messages from Carrie to her family were always like, I'm so sorry that I'm doing this to you guys. I'm so sorry that I'm going through this, but I'm going to get it together and I'm going to come back. Just bear with me while I'm figuring myself out. But Carrie's messages to Dave Mm. were of a very threatening nature. She blamed their breakup, if you can call it that. Yeah. Yeah. And he's like, why didn't you (laughs) think we were together? On his ex-girlfriend, Liz. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, Liz starts getting threatening messages. Oh, did she? From Carrie as well. Were the calls coming from inside the house? <laughs> so Liz starts getting threatening messages in text form, in email form. Carrie starts posting things on Facebook about how Liz is a whore and Liz broke up her perfect relationship and how Liz stole Dave away from her, how Liz has herpes. This goes on and on. At, so, at one Can you point, do a Keith Morrison impression? I wish I could. Ugh. It's just, you have to listen because it's just amazing to get to hear him read he the messages about a whore. A whore. <laughs> <laughs> I just, There's, I just so, imagine whore takes way longer to say. Yes, than because necessary. you know, okay, I have a favorite word that Keith Morrison says. Do you, do you have oh a favorite? God. Oh my God. I mean, 
I love the way he says die. Oh, yeah, it's great. Die. I love the way he says record. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Anyway, so these messages to both Dave and Liz become increasingly threatening in nature and also in frequency. At one point, Dave is getting 60 messages a day, 100 messages a day. But Liz and Dave weren't together. Liz and Dave were not together. Okay. They were not together. They weren't together. They had already broken up by the time Dave met. Right. And they never got back together. Well, we'll get there. Okay. So at this point, though, they are not together. Mm -hmm. So Dave starts getting all these messages. He says at points it made his phone basically unusable because messages were coming in with such frequency. He changed his number multiple times. Somehow Carrie would always get it. Yeah, Liz always knew the new number. Mm. Wow, Kristen. Yeah, I am ready for Liz to be locked up. Some stuff's going to happen to Liz here, so. Oh, Uh, God, should I shut the fuck up? Yeah. I'm sorry. Okay. Yeah, some bad stuff happens to Liz, so. (laughs) So, and somehow, Carrie always knows where Dave is. Like, she'll make references to what he's wearing or where he's been. And so he'll, like, rush outside to try and find her. But she's never there. So at one point, Liz's, like, garage gets broken into. And a message about her being a whore is written on the garage wall. Mm Mm-hmm. Dave gets all these messages about how Carrie is talking to a hitman about trying to figure out how to get Liz taken out. And she's trying to drag him into it. She's like, okay, now do we want to pay for just Liz to be taken out? Or do we want to take out her two kids too? What do you think? What do you think we should do? What? And he's like, what the fuck? And so eventually, because Liz and Dave are both victims of all of this harassment and threatening stuff, they end up talking about it. Like, what are you getting? What are you? They're comparing notes mm-hmm. and they end up going to the police. So they mm-hmm. go to the Omaha police and they're like, this is what's happening. And they start registering all of these complaints about this harassment that's going on. And they just like, it's just complaint after complaint after complaint that they're registering with the police. But the police can't do anything about it if they can't find Carrie. Right. So some of the messages they start tracing and they come back to a location in Omaha. And so they'll go there. Like we're able to get phone records and the phone company is like, well, this is where the message was sent from. So they go to that address no carry no sign that carrie's mm-hmm. ever been there mm-hmm. nothing at this same time that all of this is going on in omaha over in macedonia carrie's family is freaking out they're well, like yeah they believe by this point that the messages that are they're being sent by text message and on facebook don't sound like carrie mm-hmm. her mom's really like gone through and really dissected yeah. them and she's like yeah. this doesn't sound like her grammar these don't sound like words she would use the posts about calling someone a whore and stuff like that that's she's like that's not style. her style at yeah. all and so she decides to go to the sheriff's department there in Pottawatomie County which is where they live mm-hmm. and report Carrie as a missing person yeah and so they take all of the information and they're like, you know, if she's still active on social media and you're still getting messages from her and her phone's still active, like, there's not a lot we can do. You can report her, but if wow. she's an adult but woman who wanted to, yeah, if she's an adult woman who wanted to get away and that's what she's telling you in these messages, you have shown me messages that say that. Yeah. There's not a lot we can do. Ugh. Yeah. 
So now we've got Liz and Dave who are comparing notes about all of these threats they're getting. And Liz is scared because she's being threatened by this woman she has no connection to. Right. They passed one time. They dated the same person, but neither, like, she didn't have anything to do with Carrie's relationship ending. And so this actually does draw Dave and Liz back together a little bit. And they start kind of seeing each other. They kind of go Mm -hmm. through like an on Mm -hmm. and off seeing each other kind of thing. And things continue to escalate. At one point, Liz is moving out of her residence into another residence. So she's got like most of her stuff at the new residence. Her kids are there. But she goes one morning to her old residence to kind of go. Her pets had been staying at the old residence until they were all set up at the new place. Mm -hmm. She goes one morning to go get the pets to move them. And her house has been set on fire. (gasps) Oh, my God. She had two dogs, a cat and (gasps) a pet snake that all died in the fire. Okay, well, the pet snake. Christian. (laughs) (laughs) Well, the pet snake really deserved to die, but... (laughs) And so she's like, this is it. Like, this is enough. And so they go to police again, and they police look at it, and they're like, this is definitely arson. And they talk to Liz, and they're like, who would have done this? And she's like, I know who exactly who did this. yeah, of course. And then Dave gets an email from Carrie claiming responsibility for the fire. She's like, yeah, I burned that horse house down, and I wish her kids would have died in it. Oh, my God. Yeah. Okay, this story is absolutely nuts. I'm on the edge of my seat. I hate that I said anything disparaging about any of these people because I have no idea what's going on. All right, continue. Yeah. Except I love Keith Morrison. (laughs) Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. The whole thing. <laughs> but at this point, again, they've, they've tried tracking Carrie mm-hmm. by her IP address and stuff like that. And everything is is coming back with different results, which means it's likely being run through like anonymous server or whatever right. that's like rerouting everything. So it's untraceable. Anon, anon. That's exactly do, right. Do, 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 do. <laughs> and so they're getting nowhere with it. As time... I would be shitting my pants if I were Liz. Oh, absolutely. At some point, Carrie doesn't show up for a family wedding that she was expected at. She messaged her son saying she would be there and she doesn't show up. And so they're like, okay, that's definitely odd. So the family on the one hand. So you got people over here in Omaha who are terrified that Carrie's going to fucking murder them. Yes. And then on the other side, you've got her family in Macedonia who are like... Where's our daughter? Where's our mom? Absolutely. So she doesn't show up at this family wedding. Her dad dies and she doesn't show up to the funeral. This is weird. It's terrible. So they start sending her messages and sometimes they get a response. Sometimes they don't. They're convinced that something has happened to Carrie. Mm -hmm. At some point, Dave receives a message that Carrie's moving into his apartment complex. Oh, yeah, what? she messages him and is like, hey, I'm re- I rent an apartment in your complex and Ugh. I really hope we run into each other soon. Ugh. Like something of na- that nature. And so he calls the police. Absolutely. And he's like, this is where she told me she's living. Like, can you guys go check it out? They go and they check it out. Only the apartment building like mm-hmm. number is correct, but there's no apartment number in that building to match what she said she was living in. Oh. Yeah. So it was just to scare him. Mm Mm-hmm. But the family gets reports that there have been sightings of Carrie. At one time, they get a call from a homeless shelter in Omaha. It's like, Carrie's here. You guys need to come pick her up. Mm. And Carrie's mother, like... Oh, is beside herself. She's so excited that somebody's finally got their hands on her daughter. She gets there. She goes with detectives mm-hmm. to go there to pick mm-hmm. her up. 
the detectives are like, let us go in, please. Like, because this is, there's all of these threats have been yeah, made yeah. by her. And so she is a person of interest in this arson investigation yeah. and whatever else. And so she could be dangerous. She could be very dangerous. And so detectives are like, let us go in, please, first, and we'll assess the situation and then we'll go from there. So they go in, they've got a picture of Carrie with them. The people at the homeless shelter have never seen her. She's never been there. Wow. It's all been some kind of ruse again, like by Ugh. someone saying she's been there. Yeah. At that point, Carrie's family has just like had it. Mm-hmm. They don't understand what's going on. Carrie's mother sends her a message on Facebook and she's like, we came to the homeless shelter. You weren't there. Tell us what's going on. Yeah. Her son, Max, is just like beside himself. He doesn't know what has happened to his mom. Does his mom just abandon him? So he sends her a message, his mom a message that just says, hi. That's all the message says. Yeah. Hi. And he gets a response. Hi, little man. What's up? And she's never responded to him before? She's responded very sporadically here and there. It's been very inconsistent. Right. And so he says, I've got three questions for you. Mm -hmm. What's my middle name? Oh, what was the name of our first dog? Uh-huh. Who was my best friend growing up? Oh, shit. And he gets no response. Yeah. And to him, it was then yeah. that he knew that his mom, something had happened to his mom. This was not his mom mm-hmm. that he was talking to. Yeah. At another point, after Carrie's dad had died and she didn't show up for the funeral, so Carrie's mom and dad were divorced, but Carrie had been very close to her dad. She was also very close to her mom and her stepdad. Like mm-hmm. she'd had a great relationship with her family. Yeah. So when she failed to show up at the funeral, her mom, that's when her mom started looking through these messages and really like dissecting them. And she was sure that something had happened. And she says on this episode of Dateline that after that, there was this moment where she was sleeping and mm-hmm. her ex-husband came to her in a dream. And she said it was just the most clear thing like she can remember it so clearly to this day her ex-husband came to her in a dream and he said don't worry nancy carries with me wow and she said she just knew then yeah that something had happened to carrie and her her hopes that she would find her changed to her hopes that she would know what happened to her right at some point yeah oh my god so the threatening messages to dave and liz kind of taper off we're talking like over a course of like three years. Oh my God, these poor people. Yes. And as the messages taper off, kind of Dave and Liz kind of grow apart and their sure. relationship kind of falls apart. Dave at one point ends up moving to Council Bluffs, Iowa, because that's across the river from Omaha. Mm-hmm. His ex, so he was with this woman, Amy, for like 12 years. They never married because he is afraid of commitment, but they have two kids together. And so Amy and his two kids live there. So he's going to spend more time with his kids. He's going to be closer to them and he thought if he moved out of Omaha Carrie had less of a chance of being able to locate him Mm -hmm. so he just kind of felt safer doing that at some point after that move he also buys a gun he said at the height of all of the threats and everything he was drinking so heavily and he's never been a drinker in his life but he would get off work he'd go to the bar and he'd drink until it was closed like he just couldn't believe what he was going through yeah and so he moved away from the situation closer to his kids and then he bought a gun to help him feel safer he stored it like in a locked gun safe in the top of the closet and whatever and didn't really think much of it after he bought it he just knew he had it in case he needed it at some point during all of this kind of early on carrie's car is actually discovered in dave's apartment complex so parked in a different part of the complex and it is like immaculately clean mm. 
when they find it, it had been a very snowy winter there. Mm -hmm. um, So they find it like in January. So remember, she went missing in November. So they find it kind of in, in January sometime. And all of the other cars have been, you know, clearly moved in the snow. They've been dusted off. They're not piled up anymore. And this car is sitting there still piled up with snow. And so that's kind of what got attention drawn to it. Right, right. So Like who's not using that car? So they figure out, the police come out and they look at it and they figure out that it's Carrie's car and that it's like spotless clean. They impound it. They, you know, process it. Mm -hmm. They find nothing in it with the exception of a box of mints. Like a little mint tin or like, mm-hmm. uh, you know, something like mm-hmm. that in the cup holder. And they lifted one clean print off of the mint container when they ran through the system and didn't come back with anybody. And so they just knew that they had that like and it could have been Carrie's for all they knew. They didn't right. have even hers right. to compare against it. So they just like put that in a little evidence container and that was it. And then the case went cold. So, you know, these messages have been going on and then tapering off for three years. And no one's really looking at this missing persons case on Carrie anymore. This story is bananas. It is nuts. Until these two guys who work for the Pottawatomie County Sheriff's Office. So this story about crazy Carrie kind of became like office talk. Like sure, everybody talked sure. about her around the office. Like, what do you think happened to her? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, do you really think that she went missing? Whatever. And so these two deputies, Detective Ryan Avis and Investigator Jim Doty, they are talking about it one day and they're like... Let's take a look at it. Mm-hmm. Let's see if we can get permission to open it back up and take a look at it. Because essentially, it's a woman who left of her own free will. There's no reason to believe there's right. anything. And so they have to get permission to kind of take a look at it. Sure. And they do. And so they decide to look at it with fresh eyes and to look at it independently. One of them is going to look at it as if Carrie is still alive and left of her own free will. Oh, this is and so the cool. And the other is going to investigate it as if Carrie is not alive and something bad has happened to her. I love it. And they're going to follow both those paths until they come to dead ends mm-hmm. and see where they can meet up. Isn't that nuts? This is amazing. This is amazing. So they, they have tons and tons and tons of digital evidence to look through Mm -hmm. because when all of these complaints are being made by Dave and Liz what's happening is they're having to turn over all of those emails we're talking like 14,000 emails over this time period and then they also did data dumps from both Liz and Dave's phone to preserve any of those text messages that came through any of those threats they've just got massive amounts of data to go through yeah And so they start sifting through it and they don't really know what they're looking for, but they start following the trail and piecing it together and they work in this other guy, Tony Cava. And Tony Cava is not a detective. (laughs) He has the title of special deputy on this case because he is the county's IT guy. (laughs) So during the day, he just does IT Uh for Pottawatomie County, but they ask him to look at this case. And so he takes it on in the evenings. He starts helping them investigate in the evenings and seeing seeing what he can find in this. And so... They're looking through it like they spend seven months just weeding through information, seeing what they can find, working their separate paths. And around that time, just kind of by happenstance, as they're trying to piece together some kind of theory on it, one day one of the detectives is like walking through the halls of the station and there is Liz at the station and to this detective, like he's seen this woman's stuff. He's been going through all of her stuff for months now. He's like, it was like seeing a celebrity to me. This woman's here <laughs> just like in the sheriff's department. What the hell is she doing here? Right. And so he finds out what she's doing there. And she's there to make a complaint about threats again. 
And so he's like, can I please, can I please yes. be the one to take her statement? Yes. And they're like, of course, of course. Yeah, so they're like, of course, IT guy, go ahead. Yeah. So he sits down with her. Sorry, I'm like nowhere near in my notes here. Let me. You have not looked at that screen once. I'm obsessed with this I case. I can tell. I can tell. <laughs> you, you did the deepest of dives into this case and I love it. <laughs> And he's already working on a little theory of his own, but he Mm -hmm. wants to see what Liz has to say. So Liz says that she's been getting more threats and she wants to make a harassment claim against somebody. And he's like, okay, tell me about it. And she's like, well, it's Carrie. And he's like, what? What? He's like, yeah, it's this woman, Amy Flora. And he's like, okay, tell me more. Yeah. And she's like, well, so Amy Flora is Dave Krupa's children's mother they were together for like 12 years and i've really been thinking about this she's been harassing me on facebook and i actually think that she's been the one that's been behind all of these carry messages this whole time oh my god and he's like oh my gosh what do you mean and she's like well you know i've just really been thinking about it and carrie and dave were together for like two weeks yeah. So someone who's together, they're going to be yeah, together for two weeks and then she's going to stalk him for three years. That doesn't, doesn't make, any, make sense. any sense. No. But Amy Flora was with Dave for 12 years and ended their relationship because she was pissed he wouldn't marry her. Yeah. And then she just has a way of just coming back in and out of his life because they have kids. I just think that this makes way more sense that she's the person behind all of this. And so the detective's like... All right. I mean, thank you for the information. Let me know if you find anything more. If you can get us over those messages, you know, that'd be great. And we'll see where we can take this. So they're like, minds are blown at this point. Yeah. By this new information. At least that's what they let Liz think. What? Oh Oh my God, what are you talking about? Because by this point, they'd put together a pretty good circumstantial case against Liz. Okay. Okay. Did she light her own snake on fire? She sure fucking did. So the first damning piece of evidence they found against Liz was in, remember when I said that they did those data dumps from Liz's phone when she was getting all the harassing messages? So among those were tons of pictures. And so they're looking through these pictures and they're putting them in chronological order and everything. And they find a picture of Carrie's car. Mm-hmm. Carrie's car that had been not seen for weeks, months after she disappeared. Mm-hmm. And the picture was dated December 24th. But Carrie's car hadn't been located by police until January. So how is it that Liz mm-hmm. knew where Carrie's car was, but no one else did? Yeah. So they were like, holy shit, holy shit, holy shit. This is bad. This is real, real bad. Yeah. And so then like that had taken them in a whole new direction where they start looking at this information as if is Liz responsible for everything. But they, of course, don't want to let her know that they're already on this path. Well, that's rude. You should always let the suspect know. (laughs) And so when Liz comes in that day to make a complaint against Amy Flora. And they're like, oh, my gosh, Amy sounds like, oh, yeah, this sounds bad. Yeah, this sounds terrible. That very night. After Liz had come and made that complaint against Amy Flora, she needs to clear her head. She goes out to Big Lake Park, which is, I believe, in Council Bluffs. And she just wants to walk the trail, be alone, sit on a park bench, stare out over the river, you know, really think about what's been going on in her life. She's sitting there in the dark by herself. And a short time later, a call comes into 911. 
when a call comes in to 911. You sure? I'm positive. <laughs> I'm very familiar with the emergency contact number. Yeah. <laughs> Rarely forget even one of the digits. <laughs> and it's Liz on the line. Mm-hmm. And she's been shot. In the leg? In the leg. <laughs> Kristen, how do you know it's the leg? <laughs> Come on, Liz. <laughs> she's been shot in the leg. She was sitting there minding her own business uh-huh. when a woman came up to her and forced her to lay on the ground and then shot her through the leg. Wow. Lay on her back? Uh, um, I think on her stomach. I think she made her lay face down. Really? So emergency crews respond to the scene. They get her. They take her to the okay. hospital. She's got blood everywhere. Mm-hmm. But weird when they start, you know, giving her medical attention, how every bone must, like, major artery and everything has been missed. It's a clean shot through the side of her leg. Because, mm-hmm. you know, that's often attackers just give you, like, a clean, like, this glancing This is your warning shot. That's right. And they bring in helicopter crews. They're searching the area. They don't find a single shell casing. No dog can pick up a scent that anybody's been there. There's no signs of anyone. Liz gets her leg all bandaged Mm -hmm. up and they bring her in and they're like, oh my God. So the same detectives sit down with her and they're like, oh my gosh, we can't believe this. Are you okay? And she's like, yeah, you know. I would love to see this. Yeah. And they're like, what do you think happened? Mm. And she's like, well, you know, I've been pretty scared because, you know, Dave bought a gun and his gun went missing. Mm. And I'm pretty sure I took it. I'm pretty sure that Amy Flora is the one that took a gun. She's the only other one that has a key to Dave's apartment. Mm -hmm. And so what I think happened and the detective stop her and they're like, yeah, kind of what we're thinking happened is that Amy took Dave's gun and, and shot you with it. Mm-hmm. And she's like, yeah, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> and they're like, yeah, I mean, that's what it's looking like. Gosh. Mm. Mm. And so then they're like, you know, that's what happened. We know that's sure, what happened. Sure, sure. What we need here mm-hmm. is some evidence. Yeah. So it'd be just great if you had some messages from Amy, mm-hmm. you know, that said that she was going to do this or, you know. Some more threatening messages from Amy. And so Liz is like, oh, right, right. Yeah, let me see what I got. (laughs) (laughs) Let me see what I can drum up for you. Let me see what I can find. Let Let me see. And so she leaves and they've given her this task, basically, to see... You know, what she can come up with for messages. So write up some messages. Write up some messages. So the whole goal is to see what she comes back with. Uh And wouldn't you know it, if just the very next day she's Uh forwarding them all kinds of emails from Amy Flora. Goodness. And uh, what's weird about these messages, though, is they carry the same grammatical errors that all those messages from Carrie had. Hmm. 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 The real mystery. so strange that these two women you know dave was really drawn to women with the same vocabulary same errors same same writing style so at this point they've got liz working on this little side project right right give us all you can get us you know (laughs) Let's see what you can work out. Busy yourself. And they start creating as good a case against Liz as they can. Oh, hey, whoa. (laughs) Whoa. Very rude. And so at this point, they get Tony Kava involved again. And they're like, okay, we know now this is Liz. It's been Liz the whole time. 
can you help us prove that? Mm -hmm. And so Tony starts looking at stuff. So he's like a computer genius. And he, in fact, writes a whole program around this so that he can categorize all of these different interactions and he can prove like what came from where. And when Liz was accessing one account, she could also be accessing this account because they have to be able to prove that these digital footprints all come back to Liz. Mm -hmm. It had been basically a full time job for her pretending to be all of these different people at all of these different places sending these messages. So he gets to work on that and he does a great job of it. He's able to lock down key places and times and prove that, you know, yes, at this exact time she was logged on here and then also here. And so, Mm -hmm. but it's a huge project. I can barely turn my computer on and do a Google search. Brandy. Yes. That's the biggest lie I've ever heard. I'm an excellent Googler. I can I can search. I can stalk the shit out of someone online. Exactly. Exactly. I can't I can't follow someone's footprint. Oh, okay. I see what you mean. Yeah. Yeah. I I think you were trying to downplay your Internet sleuthing. No, I'm an excellent Internet stalker. You're like Scruff McGruff. (laughs) (laughs) The laptop. So they've got him working on this. They're working on creating this case against Liz. Liz is off working on, you know, framing Amy Flora. (laughs) (laughs) And at this point, the detectives do something big. Okay. They reach out to Dave and Amy and they're like, we can't tell you much, Mm -hmm. but we believe you're both in danger. Mm -hmm. And we would recommend that you spend as much time together as possible because you're in the least amount of danger if you're together. Mm -hmm. And... God, this is terrifying. Stay away from Liz. That's all of the information they give them. Ugh. So at the time when Liz was shot and she blames it on Amy Flora, they mm. actually bring Amy in and like give her a, a lie detector test. Yeah. And she fails it. Well, I mean, lie detectors They're, don't mean shit. Oh, absolutely. Okay. But yeah. she fails it. She's like panicked by it all. Yeah. But one of the detectives who had been there that day had had like the forward thinking because immediately Liz said it was Amy Flora. So they went to her house very quickly after the shooting happened. Right. And one of the detectives that happened to be there for that had the forward thinking to feel Amy's car. Yes. And it was cold. It had not been running. Her so neighbors could vouch really for her. Yeah. Fast. Yeah. Exactly. Her yeah. neighbors said that she'd been there all day. She'd never left. And so despite her failing that polygraph test, yeah. They knew it was never her. Yeah. So they finally give them this little bit of information like, hey, stay away from Liz. You guys are in danger. And Dave moves into Amy's house at this point. That sets Liz off. Liz loses her fucking mind. Well, and what about their kids? Their kids are in danger, too. This is terrifying. So Liz loses her fucking mind. She comes into the police station. Shoots her other leg. And she's like, this woman gets to shoot me? She gets to kill someone else? And then she gets to move in with Dave? She gets everything? And you're not arresting her? Oh, wow. And it's finally at this point that they're like... She's like, who do I have to kill now? Well, it's finally at this point that they're like, uh, yeah... Because we don't believe that she's involved in any of this. Mm. We've got some pretty good evidence that Mm. it's you who's been a part of all of this. And she immediately asked for a lawyer. She's like, I'm oh, done talking to you. It. Yeah, I was really hoping she was dumb enough to not ask. Before they revealed all of this to her, yeah. they got her to walk them through how Carrie had been murdered if she'd been murdered. You're kidding me. Through an email you that Amy had sent her. kidding me. So in an email that she provided them, uh-huh. Amy confessed to killing Carrie. Wow, that's lucky. Yeah. And told them exactly how she did it. My goodness. Yeah. That must have been, hi, Norm. Welcome back. Welcome back. <laughs> how 
lives. Fun. Do you want to try that again into the mic? <laughs> it's his first time. <laughs> no. <laughs> hello, hello. Brandy is telling the craziest story, I think. I mean, I shouldn't say that you've ever told. It's one of the craziest stories. It is It is absolutely nuts. Yeah. Okay, continue. Okay, so they get her to basically furnish them an email that is Amy, I'm doing air quotes here, yeah, yeah, people, yeah. confessing to exactly how she <sighs> killed Carrie. <laughs> and when she comes into the police department, she's pissed because now Amy's living with Dave yeah. and Amy gets everything and I get nothing. Yeah. Why aren't you arresting her? That's when they finally like, here's the deal. We know it's you. We know it's you. And they lie to her. They're like, we've found remains. (gasps) We're still waiting on positive idea, but we're pretty sure they're Carrie's. So why don't you go ahead and tell us everything? And at that moment, Mm. she just completely clams up. She's like, well, uh, I'm done talking to you and I'd like my (laughs) lawyer. (laughs) And so that's it. No more information from her. Mm. So now they've got to piece together all of this digital evidence in a way that a judge and a jury will understand it. Mm-hmm. They have to explain very complex stuff about VPNs and all kind of bullshit, proxy servers, in a way that the layman will understand it. Yeah. And so they get Tony Kava again to work on this. And he does. He charts it all out. They've got a pretty solid case moving forward. Well, yeah. But it's all circumstantial. They have no body. What about that fingerprint on the mint tin? Oh, what about that fingerprint? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so when they're trying to find what they have physically to link Liz to the crime, they're like, oh, that fucking mint container. Yeah. The print matches Liz. (gasps) Yes! Liz's fingerprint is in a car of a woman who she's had one, Mm -hmm. according to her, you know, very limited cross interaction with. And somehow her fingerprint is in Carrie's car. It's a real mystery, if you ask me. Right. So by this point, years have gone by, right? This case went cold. Mm -hmm. It's been years since Carrie's car was recovered. There was no reason to believe any crime occurred in it at that time. So it's been like sold to someone. Mm -hmm. They have to go track down the car to search it again to see if they can find any physical evidence. Because now they have this confession from Amy Flora about how she murdered her in her car. Oh, it said she murdered murdered her in her car. Someone's driving around in a murder car. Yes. So they track down the car. They get it. They can't find anything. And Uh. so they take the fucking seats out. They pull the upholstery off. And under the passenger seat upholstery, giant blood stain. Oh, no. Yeah. And so they're like, okay, well, that definitely matches up. And so the prosecution, like I said, is feeling pretty good about moving forward with this case. They've got tons and tons of circumstantial evidence. They've got all of this digital evidence linking Liz to this. But at the end of the day, they have no body. They have no murder weapon. And they don't actually have any proof that Carrie is dead. Yeah. So the investigators, the two original investigators who, you know, are the reason this case is opened and pieced together finally, they decide to go back through everything and see what they can find to, like, bolster the prosecution's case. They go back and they talk to Dave. They're like, is there anything else? And Dave's like, oh, my gosh, actually, there might be. And so they're like, like, "What, what do you got? And he remembers that he has this tablet 
that Liz had used when they were together. But now he's just like had it in storage. It's not something he uses. Mm -hmm. So he goes and digs that out. And he's like, I don't know if you'll find anything on it, but Liz did use this. So he gives it to them. They send that over to Tony. He's Mm -hmm. checking it out. Mm -hmm. It's got a micro SD card in it that's been wiped. It's been reformatted. But all of that stuff is saved. Even when you think you've deleted everything, it's saved on like some crazy part of the thing that they're able to recover it. Some crazy part of the thing. That's right. Is that a quote from Tony? That's exactly exactly (laughs) what Tony said. And then he said, you know, other computers and wingdings. (laughs) He just said font names. Helvetica. (laughs) Georgia. Times New Roman. Papyrus. (laughs) Irismicus. And so he's able to go to this SD card and recover thousands of images that Liz thought she'd deleted off of it. Oh, good Lord. And they're looking through those images and they come across some very disturbing things. Initially, they're not sure what it is. They see what looks like it could be a person. Oh, no. And they keep going and keep going. And what they are looking at are pictures of decomposing body parts. Oh, God. And there's a couple of close-up images of tattoos, including one that they're able to determine is a human foot. And on that foot is a tattoo of a Chinese character mm-hmm. saying mother. And so they contact Carrie's family. Oh, and sure enough, yeah. Carrie had the Chinese symbol for mother on her foot. Oh, my God. And so now they've got undeniable proof that yes. Carrie is dead and that Liz had in her possession pictures of Carrie's dead body. Ugh. So this case is like days away from trial when they recover this information. You are kidding me. No! Oh my God. Yeah. They go to trial. The prosecution puts up all of this amazing, undeniable circumstantial evidence. They talk about the pictures of the body parts. They talk about all of the digital footprints. And Tony Cava walks everybody through Mm -hmm. his charts Mm -hmm. and everything. It's all... Comic sans. Oh, makes sense. It's great. And then the defense gets up there and he's like, you know, I hate my job. I swear this guy sounds like there's a little clip of him on the state line. I swear he sounds like a guy who has no idea what technology is because he's like, they can have camcorders <laughs> and who's it's and what's it's galore. <laughs> but at the end of the day, they don't have a body. Mm. They don't have a murder weapon mm. and they can't tell you where this murder happened. I actually think that is a perfect tactic. I agree, too, because you're hoping that you're going to get some dumb dumb jurors who don't yeah. trust technology either so yeah why not take that tactic absolutely i live in the real world <laughs> right? everybody else has their eyeballs glued to their it. phone like his first piece of technology that he lists is a, a camcorder, camcorder. <laughs> in this world of vcrs and camorders and what, what, what were those huge discs back in the laser day discs. laser discs laser discs <laughs> These millennials you know, they with their might laser have discs. a laser disc full of body parts. <laughs> hey, why are you guys hating on camcorders? I use a camcorder. Well, because a camcorder was involved in no way in this case. Lots yeah. of electronics were used in this case. A camcorder was not one of them. Uh, fair enough. <laughs> Didn't mean to offend you, Norm. So offended. But at the end of the day, the prosecution did what they needed to do. And Liz was found guilty of Carrie's Mm -hmm. murder. And she was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. She appealed this decision, of course. Well, yeah, because Amy did it. 
Right. (laughs) On the grounds that they had no body. Mm. So they couldn't even prove that Carrie was really dead. They had no concrete proof that Carrie was dead. And this appeal actually made it all the way to the Nebraska Supreme Court. But they laughed in her face and denied her appeal. (laughs) Oh, yeah. I mean, she's got pictures of the dead body. Yeah. Yeah. So the detectives were like, this woman was walking around with trophies of her kill. Yeah. There's no other reason she had those pictures. No. Yeah. Carrie's body has never been recovered. In the confession email from Mm -hmm. Amy, in air quotes again, I believe burned the remains and then took them to the dump. So that's likely what happened to them. Well, that's what Amy did. (laughs) Carrie's family has said that it actually did bring them some good closure to know that Carrie had never left them. Yeah. Especially yeah. for her son, I bet. Absolutely. That would be really important. He said to it know was still very left. difficult to deal with, yeah. you know, but knowing that his mother had not left of her own free will and just abandoned him, like, yeah. definitely brought some closure to all of this. Right. Those three detectives who solved this case, they were really impacted by Carrie Farver and. They loved that she was into computers. Mm -hmm. Like, that's what Mm -hmm. she did. She was very smart with computers. So they actually started a scholarship fund in her name for someone that's pursuing a degree in computers. The scholarship is $1,000 per year to a college within, like, the Western Community College, whatever Mm -hmm. system Mm -hmm. within Iowa. And until I don't have an update on this, like to this day, like this is a couple years ago, this article came out. They were funding that scholarship themselves and hoping that wow. enough people would come with donations that that could be a, like a recurring thing for years to come. We've got to find a link to that. There, I have a, I okay. have a link to it. Okay. That's so cool. Yeah. I think it's amazing. They were super impacted by this case and like. I mean, just the fact that this story was like talked about in the halls about crazy Carrie and then this is what it turned out to be. Mm. They were really impacted by that. So, yeah. So you can go to ourpccf.org to learn more about the scholarship fund and to donate. Okay, And that's the story of one scorned lover. Oh, wow. Isn't that crazy? Yes. She shot herself in the leg and burned down her own house, killing her own animals. What a fucking psychopath. I don't know. She seems real great. (laughs) Here's a fun thing that I found in one article. So I wasn't sure about the source, so I didn't use this as a source material because there were a couple facts that I know for sure they got wrong in the article. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That always makes me feel But they did talk about, so they interviewed these people who didn't want to be called by name, but they were Liz's boyfriend's parents. So Liz had this boyfriend at the time of her arrest who was 20 years younger than her. Oh, no. Yeah, so she was 41 when she was arrested. Oh, God. And this guy was like, 21. Oh, this poor kid. And so his parents are interviewed in this article and they're like, yeah, you know, we don't really approve of their relationship, but um, mm-hmm. we know that Liz is innocent. Oh, my. Yeah. She had a lot of people fooled for a long time. Uh, not the jury, though. Nope. Or the Supreme Court. <laughs> That's right. Thank you, Anastasia, for that amazing that case recommendation. Great. That was nuts. Nuts. With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply. Oh, my Lord. Okay. Are you ready to hear about a kidnapping? You know I am always ready to hear about a kidnapping. I'm wondering how well you know this one. Okay. 
I feel like this has to be one that you know really well. The name only looks vaguely familiar to me, so I don't know. Brooke is a boy. Okay. Okay. Is that, did you think that was going to be like, I was going to be like, oh! Yeah, yeah, because no. I hear Brooke and I think girl. No. Okay, okay. First of all, Wikipedia. My God, the Wikipedia <laughs> entry on this thing. I did take a little bit from an article by Carl Nolte for the San Francisco Is that Chron- Nick's brother? Who's Nick Nolte? That sounds so familiar. <laughs> <He's an actor. laughs> What's he been in? A million things. Oh, well. Norm, what's Nick Nolte been in? He's in The Mandalorian. He is in The Mandalorian. I have spoken. I have spoken. Oh, I didn't see that. Um, he was in, wasn't he in all those Beverly Hills Cop movies? Yeah, he's in one of those. Ed, Eddie yeah. Murphy. You're naming all the things I would you've never, never watch. You've never seen anything Nick Nolte's Nick been Nolte, in. Nick Nolte. Blue Chips? Yeah, he was in The Thin Red Line. He's in a lot of 80s and 90s movies. Yeah. He's got a very unique voice. Okay, well, good for him. When he was younger, people used to say my dad looked like him. Really? Yeah. Ooh, I see it. Yeah. I see, and yeah, I'm looking at an old picture of him. Yeah. I see it. It's the eyes. Yeah. Okay. So a little bit of this comes from an article by Carl Nolte for the San Francisco Chronicle. Is he Nick Nolte's <laughs> Shut up. Oh, my God. <laughs> Man, I was trying to cut that crap out. <laughs> Guess not. <laughs> but I mean, like, 99% of this. You guys, I'm so hilarious. <laughs> Professional comedian. (laughs) Classic Brandy. (laughs) So like 99% of this comes from the Wikipedia entry. I do want to say though, a lot of the Wikipedia entry comes from, why are you sitting like that? It's where he's most comfortable. Comfortable. Don't shame him. I'm sorry. Seat shaming. (laughs) Most of the Wikipedia entry, I mean, if he wants to sit with his leg behind his head like that, Kristen, (laughs) who are you to (laughs) Why are you worried about how I'm sitting? I don't want to be titillated this whole time. You know, I'm trying to work here. Trying to earn a living. (laughs) So a lot of the Wikipedia article comes from, you know, newspaper articles, but also the book Swift Justice by Harry Farrell, which I did not read, but I feel like the man deserves a shout out. Excellent. Okay. You ready? Yeah. Is that Perry Farrell's brother? You just made that up. No. Perry Farrell. Yeah. Isn't he the lead singer of Jane's Addiction? God damn it. You know, the side notes on this podcast are really too much to bear. Oh my, look at him. It does seem that he's the lead singer of Jane's Addiction in your fucking face, Kristen. He? I mean, are these fillers in this <laughs> man's <laughs> cheeks? I don't know. No, that's his natural cheek. My goodness. Anyway, I, I'm going to stop interrupting you oh, really? for the next three seconds. <laughs> because this script is long. Get it, Kristen. All right. You'll never bowl tonight. <laughs> It was 1933. Excellent. And Brooke Hart was 22. Oh! Shut up. (laughs) Was 22 years old, living like the most enviable life. First of all, he was super hot. He was athletic. He was really nice. People liked him. And rich. That's because Brooke was part of a very well-known and very well-loved family from San Jose, California. Hmm. Do you know the way? To San Jose? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. His grandfather was Leopold Hart, and in 1866, Leopold started a store called the Leopold Hart and Son Department Store. Mm. But they obviously shortened that to Hart's Department Store because, duh. Yes. Eventually, Brooke's dad, AJ, took over the business from the grandpa, and over time, Hart's became like this iconic store in San Jose. People loved it. It had customer service you would not believe. They treated their customers really well. They treated their employees well. Hearts was so well regarded in the community that even during the Depression, 
people stayed loyal to them and kept shopping there wow. and kept them in business. So Brooke, you know, had it made. When he graduated from Santa Clara University, his father made him a junior vice president at Hearts and began training him. You know, the idea was Brooke would take over the company one day. But then, at a little before six in the evening on Thursday, November 9th, 1933, Brooke went to a parking lot in downtown San Jose, which was like right behind the Hearts Department okay. store. And he hopped in his brand spanking new yellow Studebaker President Roadster, which is like a very cool looking car, mm-hmm. I must say. And he took off. Brooke was supposed to go pick up his dad, AJ, and take him to a meeting at the San Jose Country Club. Because AJ didn't drive. Which at first I was like, that's weird. But it was 1933. Yeah, I'm sure his thing. generation was like, eh, this newfangled yeah. thing. Technology. Camcorders. Yeah. Camcorders. Am I right? I called it later discs. <laughs> later discs. Those I haven't been invented yet. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I just invented something new. <laughs> so AJ waited and waited. But Brooke didn't show up to pick him up. He was thinking, what the hell? Brooke's always on time. This is really strange. Time went by. Somehow, AJ did end up making it to the country club. I mean, he was super rich. I'm sure he just had somebody else drive him. I'm sure. But he was still pretty worried. That evening, as he was eating dinner at the club, he received a phone call. It was a friend of Brooke's. The guy was like, hey, um, Brooke and I were supposed to get together at like 8 o'clock tonight. And he never showed up. Do you have any idea where he is? So by that point, AJ had had enough. Something was clearly up. Obviously, Brooke had gotten into some kind of accident. Yeah. So he called the cops. Okay, fast forward about an hour. It's 9.30 at night at the Hart home when the telephone rang. Brooke's younger sister, Elise, L-E-E-S-E, picked up. I don't think that's Elise if there's no vowel at the beginning. (laughs) A-L-E-E. Yeah. (laughs) No, really? You didn't. You said L E. So oh, A L E. A L E. Yeah, it's probably. Does Elise. it help to have all the letters? It does. <laughs> you just jumble them around, and we'll see what name we can come up with. <laughs> so she picks up, and a soft-spoken man hmm. told her that Brooke had been kidnapped, and he was like, "I'll call back later with instructions." Well, just give us the instructions now, sir. Okay, this whole story is beyond annoying for that exact reason. Why are we breaking up the phone calls? Yeah. Just give me give me all the info. Oh, my gosh. Okay, hang tight, because this is going to happen like 17,000 oh, times. An hour later, the phone rang again. This time, Brooke's sister Miriam picked up, or Iriam, if you drop the M. <laughs> A man who sounded like the same guy who had called earlier said, Hey, I'll hand over Brooke, but I want 40 grand. I'll call back tomorrow, and we can figure out logistics. No. <laughs> Great. What's well, 40 grand? Damn it. They even adjusted it for inflation in the Wikipedia article. I think it's like almost $400,000. 1933. Brandy, you have to do everything around here. That's right. Make the Nick Nolte references. $767,000. Oh, damn. Okay. What'd you guess? $400,000. Just a little off. So by this point, the Hart family was freaking out. About half an hour later, Brooke's car was discovered. It had been abandoned in Milpitas. Sure. Which is north of San Jose, and it had the lights on. Mm. This was a huge deal. Only about a year and a half had passed since the Lindbergh baby was kidnapped. In fact, at that point, the case was still unsolved. Yeah. So the local police were like, we're here. And the county sheriff's office was like, we're here. And a group that would later become the FBI was like, we're here too. Yeah. All hands on deck. But um, figuring out who had done this was a bit of a shit show. Okay, so let's start with the phone calls. 
Phone records for the Hart home indicated that the kidnappers had actually tried to call three other times that night. And no one had answered? No, the line had been busy. Old-timey problems. Who were they fucking talking to? They were probably calling around being like, have you seen Brooke? Have you seen Brooke? You're right. Yeah, yeah. Calm calm down. But no big deal. Investigators were... Didn't they just do like emergency breakthroughs in that time? Couldn't the kidnappers been like, get me through to the house? I don't know. You think they had, like, the operator and they could be like, hey, Ethel. Yeah. This is a real big deal. Yes. You I don't know. dial a number. You said, give me, hey, C, give me. <laughs> <laughs> and if you didn't say, hey, C, they, they didn't put your call <laughs> through. Right. So investigators were able to trace the calls, which shocks the crap out of me. That's Me seems, too. That seems very advanced for 1933. But they did it. Using laser discs. <laughs> Not later discs. (laughs) The calls all seem to be coming from San Francisco. Okay. Specifically, at least one of them came from the Whitcomb Hotel, located at 1231 Market Street, San Francisco, California. Ooh, delightful. Right? (gasps) Let's go there. Let's go there. Okay, are you looking at the lobby of this place? No. Show me the lobby. I mean, it is marble on marble on marble on gold on chandeliers and oh. I want to go here. Fine, we'll go. Okay. Okay. Oh, there's two Walgreens nearby. (laughs) What more could a gal want? Am I right? (laughs) That's right. For whatever reason, investigators didn't believe that the kidnappers were actually in San Francisco. They thought the location of the San Francisco phone calls was some big decoy. (gasps) Okay. Well, how far away is San Francisco from San Jose? I thought it was a little further than I thought. So I always, I had a map pulled up this whole time. I didn't actually. You thought it was a little further than you thought? I assumed back in old timey times that everything's five minutes away. If you're driving, it's an hour and 13 minutes. So. I thought that's a little further than I thought. (laughs) I think I'm going to thought and throw you out the window. (laughs) Thought, 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 thought. So they started their search in Oakland. But then. Why? See, that part of... It's not quite San Francisco. (laughs) That part of the Wikipedia entry, if I I may offer a criticism... (laughs) (laughs) Who am I to critique this fine Wikipedia entry? I did want to know more about, like, well, why were you so sure it was a For whatever reason, they start in Oakland. Great. Okay. Big Raiders fans. That's right. But then someone found Brooke Hart's wallet. Where? It was in San Francisco. Well, fuck. So they should have been in San Francisco? Wow. (laughs) Good words. You want to try again? They should have been in San Francisco the whole time. (laughs) It was on the guardrail of a tank ship. I'm going to need more information. (laughs) I don't even know what those words mean together. So a tank ship. Here. Google tank ship. So it's basically like a transport ship. And it's kind of like this big old flat thing that they carry a bunch of heavy duty crap. Like a barge? I don't know what any of those. You know what a barge is? No. Well, you don't know what a tank ship is. So why don't you tell (laughs) (laughs) So anyway, it was on the guardrail of a tank ship. So people were like, what the hell? But investigators quickly developed a theory as to why Brooke's wallet was on the tank ship. Why? Here was the theory. This tanker and another really nice passenger ship called the SS Lurleen. Lurleen. Or Lurleen, whatever. I like Lurleen. I like Lurleen, too. They were both refueling in San Francisco, and they were docked super close together from midnight until about 5 a.m. So obviously, someone on board the SS Lurleen had 
tossed Brookhart's wallet out of a porthole, and it had, boom, landed on the guardrail of the tank ship. Only explanation. Therefore, Brandy. Holy shit. The kidnappers and possibly Brookhart We're himself. We're on Lurleen. Yes! <laughs> Go to there! Where was Lurleen headed? <laughs> Lurleen <laughs> sounds like how you would say my grandma's name if you had, like, had too many drinks. My grandma's name was Shirlene. So you're like, <laughs> Lurleen. <laughs> Listen, Lurleen, these margs are great. <laughs> so they're like, stop that ship. So the ship pulled to the side of the road in L.A. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> they searched it top to bottom. They talked to all the passengers and they were like, are you the kidnapper? Okay, how about you? Don't lie because it's rude. And we can tell. Maritime rules. You cannot lie. Jesus Christ, when you tell lies. Oh, my God. I've never heard that before. <laughs> Did some horrible adult say that to you no, as a child? I don't think so. <laughs> Okay, true story. Babe Ruth was on board. What? Yeah. So they talked to Babe Ruth. And that's when Babe Ruth confessed. To the kidnapping. Yeah, a lot of people, they just (laughs) gloss over this part. This is like when people are like, can we just watch the Cosby show and enjoy it? (laughs) People only want to remember him for the baseball. No, just kidding. Babe Ruth had not kidnapped Brookhart. So Brooke Hart was not on board. Didn't seem like any of the people on board had kidnapped him. They had nothing. Nada. So then they started thinking, okay, what are the other reasonable explanations for how Brooke Hart's wallet got on that tank ship? And they came up with one. What is it? Brooke Hart was on the tank ship? Track down that tanker. It's not quite that exciting. Huh. The place where that tank ship had stopped to refuel was really close to a sewer outfall, which sounds Ew. disgusting. Yeah, that was my reaction, too. And investigators... We're just dropping that right into the ocean? Guess <laughs> <laughs> so. Is that real? Uh, that's what the Wikipedia entry said to me, and that's what I'm saying to you. <laughs> and who are we to question any part of this process? Ugh. They figured that because the tank ship was so heavy, it was possible that it had maybe dipped underwater a bit near the sewer outfall, and when it rose back up, the wallet was on deck. Somebody had flushed it down the toilet, is what they're saying. Mm, I don't know that they were saying that exactly. Dropped it in a storm drain. (laughs) Threw it in a storm drain. There we go. Okay. There we go. So that wasn't a bad theory, but it didn't give them a whole lot to go on. No. Meanwhile, the public was going nuts over this story. People really liked Brooke Hart, and they wanted answers. At one point, Pretty Boy Floyd was suspected of the crime, so they tried to track him. I mean, yeah, people were just very concerned. Yeah. While that was happening, the Hart family chartered a plane, you know, like you do, Mm -hmm. and they flew over kind of the area where Brooke's car had been abandoned. They were hoping to find houses or cabins where the kidnappers might be hiding out, but they didn't find anything. Then... Sunday, November 12th. Brooke had been missing since Thursday. What? No, just uh, Carrie went missing on November 13th. What What are you making out of this? <laughs> it's the... <laughs> I like when dates... I You are weird about dates. <laughs> the family received a telegram. And the telegram was like, Hey, hey, hey. Uh, hmm. I think we got a little greedy asking for 40 grand and all. Um, How about 20 grand for your son? Does that, does that sound good to you? What? Right? You're just lowering the ransom? Yeah. Why on earth would you do that? That doesn't make any sense. Mm -mm. The next day, a letter arrived at the Hart Department store. It was postmarked from Sacramento, and it was made out to Brooke's dad, AJ. And the letter was like, AJ, here's the deal. We want the ransom money real bad. So we want you to install a radio in your Studebaker because we will be giving you ransom instructions via the KPO radio station. Excellent. 
As soon as you get our instructions, you'll need to drive to the location of our choosing with the ransom money, be there or be square. So a couple things. First of all, the hearts were crazy rich. They didn't have some shitty Studebaker that didn't have a radio. So they were like, we've already got the radio in there. Yeah. Came installed. All right. But the other big thing was AJ like did not drive. Did yeah. not know how to drive. But obviously he wanted to get his son home however he could. So I don't know what they were doing. Like maybe giving him real fast driving, driving lessons. lessons. I, but anyway, here's what he did. He publicly announced that he would give five grand to anyone who could return his son safely. And he promised that if his son was returned to him, he would not press charges against the kidnappers. Wow. And just to prove how eager he was to let the kidnappers off the hook completely, he was like, hey, breaking news, the police are no longer tracing the phone calls to my home. You can call at any time, talk as long as you want, hit me up. Is he lying? Of course he's lying. Of course he's lying. The police were 100% still tracing the calls. I was like, now that's a weird tactic. I like where he's coming from on the other stuff, but if you've got the ability to track the calls, we should probably be tracking the calls. The next day, the Hart family received another letter from the kidnappers. This one was postmarked from San Francisco. In this letter, the kidnappers were like, here's what you need to do. Put the money in a black satchel, drive to L.A. At this point, the kidnappers may have figured out that AJ didn't know how to drive because they later made a phone call and told him, hey, get the money and take the night train to L.A. Investigators were pumped. They stalked the shit out of that train station. And it didn't take long to spot their man. They saw him. They swarmed him. They jumped all around him. They got him. They were like, you are under arrest for the kidnapping of Brooke Hart. And he was like, who? He was like, ugh. <laughs> he was just a bank teller. Oh, my He was just gosh. out for a stroll. He had nothing to do with the kidnapping. He was just chilling. These are the dangers of exercise. The Hart family was devastated. They still had no idea where Brooke was. Yeah. But they knew that the kidnappers clearly wanted to work with AJ, and they kept asking him to drive somewhere. So the next day, they put up a big sign in the window of Hart's department store. And I'm not sure the exact wording, but it basically said, AJ Hart doesn't drive. Oh, wow. Yeah. That night, the Hart family received another phone call. Of course they fucking did. This time, the caller said, grab the ransom money and, you know, drive somewhere to meet me. But this time, AJ was like, how do I know you really have my son? Mm. You know what? Put him on the line. I want to talk to him. And the dude was like, "Um, uh, yeah, well, hey, don't worry about your son. He's fine. He's being held at a super safe location. Not near me right now. Blah, blah, blah. Blee, blee, blee. AJ talked and talked and talked to this guy, trying to keep him on the line Mm -hmm. as long as he could. Because as they were talking, the police were trying to trace the call. And they fucking did. They traced it to a garage in San Jose. But by the time they got there, the caller was gone. Oh, gosh. The next day came. Anybody seen him? Mm Mm-mm. Oh. Now, keep in mind, they were getting tips all the time. Because, you know, this was a huge story. Yeah. It's November 16th. Brooke had been missing for a week. Mm, It's not a great sign. No. The Hart family got another call. And it's the same story, different day. Get the money, drive to meet us at this certain location. But things ended differently this time. This time, when police traced the call, they were like, holy shit, that phone call is coming from inside the house. You're kidding me. I am kidding. No. Oh, my it was, gosh. <laughs> it was coming from a park. That's rude. I know. <laughs> <laughs> 
It was coming from a parking garage that was literally 150 feet from the San Jose police station. Oh my gosh. What idiots, Who's, right? Yeah. So they hauled ass over to that parking garage. And of course, I mean, it was just a light jog. And they caught a man talking on the phone to A.J. Hart. <gasps> Who was he? The man's name was Thomas Harold Thurman. Sometimes people refer to him as just Harold, but I'm calling him Thomas throughout, so we can all just deal. They brought him in for questioning at around 8 o'clock at night, and at around 3 a.m. Uma's dad? Oh my God, Brandy. Norman smiled. Norman, don't encourage that crap. (laughs) At around 3 a.m., he cracked. Here's what he said. Thomas said that about six weeks earlier, this nude, I almost said this nude, (laughs) this dude named John Holmes approached him. John Holmes? Shut up. Katie Holmes is dead. (laughs) There, I beat you to it. Took the wind right out of your tank ship. John Holmes was the porn guy. The porn guy? Yeah. Yeah. What are you talking about? He's the guy with the giant dong. He had the big dong. And I accidentally said nudes right in front of his name? (laughs) Mm -hmm. Boy. Yeah. I mean, how big is his dong? I'm sorry, I don't know. <laughs> well, you seem to know a lot about it. Okay. He was like with the original, uh, like, superstar. Also known as Johnny Wad. Wad? Yeah. He was like the oh, OG male yeah. porn star. Hold on just a second. Gotta do something. Oh, Wad! That's huge! Oh, God, you're looking at his dog! Why are you looking at it right now? You can't tell me something like that and have me not look it up. That is, my God, that is... Ma- oh, my God, I gotta stop. Ah! <laughs> Sorry. You guys are the ones who brought it up. Brandy's trying to act like she's not looking. Look at her face and tell me she's not looking at dogs. Holy crap. Norm, you want to get a load of this? Ew. (laughs) I'm sorry. Uh, Good. I didn't mean. I'm good, actually. I didn't mean like get a (laughs) load. I think I'm good. I don't want to get a load of John Holmes' dog. I'm sorry. It looks like it's a transplant from an elephant. So anyway, this dude named John Holmes approached him. Do I need to backtrack a little? Are we lost? No, we're good. So John was having a rough time. He just lost his job as a salesman, and he was thinking about getting into porn. (laughs) No, he and his wife had just separated, so he didn't get to see his two kids much. And it was John's idea to kidnap Brooke Hart. Okay. Now, this may shock you, but when police went and got John Holmes... Get a load of this. He said that the kidnapping was Thomas's idea. Of course he did. Very weird. So they were like, well, since you two can't agree, we'll let you both go. No, they weren't. No. <laughs> That's not how this works. <laughs> Obviously, there were inconsistencies in their stories, but I'm going to tell you kind of like the stuff they agreed on. Oh, okay. Like this is the middle of the Venn yeah, diagram? Yeah, this is the middle. And okay. really, I think it's kind of all you need to know. Yeah. I'll be the judge of that. <laughs> On the evening of November 9th, Brooke Hart got his car from the parking lot, like I told you, and as he was driving toward the exit, Thomas jumped into the passenger seat with a gun and ordered Brooke to drive to Milpitas. Mm-hmm. Milpitas. <laughs> a thousand apologies to anyone who knows how to actually say that. Milpitas sounds like a snack, doesn't it? There's a lot of stuff you don't know how to pronounce, just astounds me. Norma, will you look up Milpitas, California, and tell me how to pronounce it? That may be the rudest thing you've ever said to me. The amount of stuff you don't know how to pronounce astounds me. Milpitas. Hey, not bad. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. He killed it. Yeah. Boom. So he ordered Brooke to drive to Milpitas. <laughs> Once they got there, Thomas ordered Brooke out of the car and into another one. And that one was being driven by John. From there, they drove to the San Mateo Bridge. Once they got to the bridge, one of them hit Brooke in the head with a concrete block. Oh, gosh. Twice. Well, he's dead. Not yet. He didn't die from that? Then they used wire to bind his arms. Oh, no. They tied two concrete blocks to his feet, and they threw him off the bridge. By this point, it was obviously dark out, and they could hear him flailing. One thing said that he shouted that he couldn't swim. Oh. So one of them pulled out a gun. Well, John says that Thomas pulled out a gun and shot at Brooke. Shot at Brooke. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. They couldn't tell, you know. Then they left. This was like an hour after they'd kidnapped him. Oh, my gosh. From there, they drove about a mile and stopped to get rid of the extra wire and a concrete block. And a few hours later, they made their phone calls to the Hart family, where they demanded 40 grand Uh in return for Brooke, who was, of course, dead. Right. This is so infuriating. Yeah. Like, wh- what why? Is the point? Why? These confessions obviously were huge and they were infuriating. The crime was so senseless. Brooke had been dead this whole time. And for what? Yeah. Investigators went to the bridge and on November 18th, they found evidence that corroborated the confessions. They discovered two 22-pound blocks that were stained with blood. Mm. What the DNA say? <laughs> they had to wait several decades for that. <laughs> Two days later, they found Brookhart's hat. They found a pillowcase that the kidnappers had used to cover his head. During this time, a few people came forward with details that also corroborated the confessions. You know, somebody saw three men driving in a car that matched the description. They heard a man scream for help near the bridge. All of that was helpful, but at this point, the main concern was finding Brooks' body, which turned out to be really, really hard. They dragged the bay, but that didn't turn up anything. They got a blimp to get a better look at things. They used a hydraulic pump to dredge the mud under the bridge. The Hart family offered a $500 reward for anyone who could find their son's body. But eventually, you know, they had to call it quits because they were just finding nothing. So on November 25th, even though they hadn't found Brooke Hart's body, the official search came to a close. Then the next day, two duck hunters found him. What? Brooke's body was about half a mile south of the bridge, and it was in terrible shape. I guess it had been eaten by crabs, Mm. and it was badly decayed. Oh, gosh. But there was enough for the family to ID him, and they did. You'd be amazed the pictures you can find online of this. I mean, because I was kind of like, well, how would they even know for sure that that was Brooke? But I found a picture, and I mean, it was a fully clothed body, so, you know. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, if you knew what he was wearing. Yeah. The coroner said that Brooke had died from drowning. There were no bullet holes in his body. So they had, they'd shot at him, but they'd missed. Yeah. <sighs> Is that worse or better? I don't even know. Well, and honestly, like, one guy said... That one guy shot, the other one didn't mention anything about Mm -hmm. shooting. The other guy was just like, yeah, we took $15 from his wallet, split it, and went on our way. Meanwhile, the public got angrier and angrier. Do you know this story, by the way? I haven't stopped. No. You don't know this? Okay. The public got angrier and angrier at Thomas and John. This was cruel, senseless, and it had been done against, like, the nicest guy who everybody liked. The local newspapers and radio stations were fanning the flames. One newspaper ran a front page editorial advocating for mob violence. I was going to say, are they going to lynch him? Let's see. Mm-hmm. 
By this point, Thomas and John had attorneys, and not bad ones. John's dad paid 10 grand in cash for him to be defended by Vincent Hallinan, who would later... Wait, do you know that name? No. You said it like, wow. $10,000 is a shit ton of money. Yeah, it's crazy, and it was cash. Yeah. Vincent Hallinan would later run for president as a progressive. Never heard of him. He would also later go to prison for tax evasion, but that's another episode. (laughs) (laughs) Meanwhile, Thomas was defended by J. Oscar Goldstein, who also later ran for president. Just kidding. He was just a regular defense attorney. (laughs) (laughs) But these defense attorneys immediately got to work. Thomas's attorney began working on an insanity plea, and I think John's attorney was probably going to do that too, but he was more focused on getting John's confession thrown out. He felt the confession had been forced out of John, that the investigators had intimidated him and told him that if he didn't confess, they'd turn him over to the lynch mob. Wow. Which probably they did say that. Probably. I think, yeah, I think it's very likely they said yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Which, by the way, was a very real threat because there was a literal mob outside of the jail where they were being held at all times. I'm sure. And when people found out that these two men might try to use an insanity defense, they just freaked out. I mean, we've covered some of these cases from back then. People, for the most part, thought that insanity defenses were just totally made up. Yeah. So law enforcement sent in two psychiatrists to examine the two men. And the psychiatrists were like, yep, they're sane. Toodles. At one point, the two men were moved to San Francisco for their safety, but it turns out that people in San Francisco also hate kidnappers, too, so they weren't that much safer there. (laughs) Yeah. Days passed. People did not calm down. If anything, they got angrier, and they got more friends to join them. So on the evening of November 24th, Vincent Hallinan, John's defense attorney, called up the governor of California and was like, hey, I think these people are going to actually lynch my client. Things are getting really ugly. Please call in the National Guard. What? What do you mean, what? The National Guard? Yeah, it was that bad. Wow. But Governor Sonny Jim Rolf. Sonny Jim? Sonny Jim, yes. Sonny Jim Rolf? Yes. Huh, that's a mouthful of name. Sonny Jim was more of a nickname, I guess. I would assume. (laughs) Thank you. I think his mom named him Sonny Jim. Sonny Jim did not give a fuck. He said that if anyone did lynch the kidnappers, he'd pardon them. Oh, wow. Uh Uh-huh. When reporters asked the governor about calling in the National Guard, he said, let the sheriff handle the matter. He can appoint as many deputies as he wants. He has the power. I'm not going to call the guard to protect the kidnappers who willfully killed a fine boy like that. Let the law take its course. Wow. So anger was building. The mob of people was growing. And then on November 26th, that's when Brooke's body was found. And the anger rose significantly. Of course it did. Newspapers published special editions. Radio stations started talking about it, saying that the two men would probably be lynched that night. Wow. And probably it would be at the St. James Park in but San Jose. They, yeah, they, it was like a, hey, hey, guys. Hey, I'm, I'm throwing, a, throwing a party tonight. Yeah. Drop by around 11. Invited everybody to the lynching. Might as well have. Oh, my gosh. Starting at 11 a.m., Crowds began to gather outside the jail. The sheriff did what he could to hold them back. He organized like this makeshift barricade of trucks and cars to try to protect the jail. I mean, the guy was outnumbered because by that evening, thousands of men, women, and children were all there at the park waiting for something to happen. So the estimates are between five and 15,000 people. 
Holy shit. At some point, the crowd started chanting, 11 o'clock, 11 o'clock. Okay, well, that's creepy as fuck. Yes, it is. And the governor of California, old Sonny Jim, was loving every minute of it. He was, like, standing there at the front of the crowd. Here's what he was doing. He had planned to go to a conference in Boise that evening, but he was afraid that if he went, his lieutenant governor might step in and call the National Guard to stop the possible lynching. Wow. So Sonny Jim was like, sorry, Boise, I'll catch you next time. And he stayed in California just so he could make sure that the National Guard was not called in. Meanwhile, the crowd was getting meaner and meaner. And finally, at 1030 at night, the sheriff called the governor and was like, hey, 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 here's the deal. We can't hold this lynch mob off much longer. Please send the National Guard. And the governor said no. (gasps) Now it's midnight. The crowd's still there. The sheriff's deputies threw tear gas at them. It didn't work. Instead, people ran to a nearby construction site. They grabbed this big pipe and they started using it as a battering ram. Oh, my God. And the sheriff was like, holy shit. So it was just him, nine deputies and eight state patrolmen defending two dudes against thousands of angry people. Wow. Yeah, they don't stand a chance. Nope. So he told his guys, look, once these people bust in here, there's not going to be much we can do. In fact, just kind of clear out of the way, and no matter what happens, do not fire your weapons, do not pull out your clubs. This doesn't need to be any bloodier than it's gonna be. Yeah. Pretty soon, the mob broke through the jail doors, and people beat the shit out of these officers. When one refused to hand over the keys, they choked him. And I believe it was that same guy when they were like, is that John Holmes? Is that guy right there, John Holmes? And he was trying to say he didn't know. He was trying to protect the guy. They choked him again. Oh, my gosh. Obviously, the crowd won. They grabbed Thomas first. They beat him up. They dragged him out of the jail. They took him to the park, and they lynched him on an elm tree. Oh, my goodness gracious. As he died, they pulled off his pants and tore them up so that people could take pieces of them as souvenirs. It's like that one story that you did where they cut down the tree and took a slab as a... Oh, wait for it. These old-timey things, like, yeah, people were super... In, I guess they didn't have their phones on them, so they would just take yeah. whatever they could. So fucking weird. So he was hanging from a tree with no pants and no underwear. Oh, my gosh. What happened to his underwear? They pulled it off for oh souvenirs. Oh, my gosh. There are pictures of this. Oh, I stumbled across the picture first, and I was like, oh, my God, is that... Because it's black and white, so you're kind of yeah. like, what am I looking at? I was like, "Is that? does that mean I not have pants on? Oh, my gosh. Then they dragged John out. The whole time he yelled, you're making a big mistake. I'm not the man you want. He tried to take the rope off his neck. He tried to fight back. So I guess Thomas had been so scared that he barely spoke the mm-hmm. whole time. But John was, you know, very different. Yeah. As he tried to fight back, they broke both of his arms, and they lynched him, too. By the time they killed him... He was only wearing one sock and one shoe. Oh, my gosh. This is nuts. The bodies were left hanging in St. James Park for about 45 minutes, while the crowd of well-dressed men, women, and children danced in the park. What the fuck? Have you read anything about, like, southern lynchings? No. Like, the most disturbing thing. There are pictures of, like, it's usually well-dressed white people. They look like they're at the county fair with their kids and everything. And then there's usually, like, a black man hanging from a tree. It is, like, the most disturbing thing. Yeah. I don't need to see any of that. Nope. Then the police came and cut the men down. About a week later, the city council held a special meeting. They had to decide what to do about that tree. Are you okay over there? I'm great. (laughs) 
they had to decide what to do about that tree because people were ripping branches uh-huh. off of it. They were souvenirs. hacking off limbs for souvenirs. So That's right. Weird. What case was that where they did the... Um, It was... Ugh. Was it the pig lady It was the pig one? lady one. Yeah. The torn love letters. Yeah. yeah. Episode eight? Question yeah. mark? That's right. God, you're so good. Okay. So some members of the city council were like, I think we ought to keep the tree because it's a reminder that if you do bad things, we will kill you. Yeah, I don't think that's no. a great idea. <laughs> well, luckily, most people felt the way you did, and they just cut the tree down. Okay. Which, I mean, it's not the tree's fault that no. people are crazy. But this is a court podcast. So where the hell is all the court stuff? There's not much of it because these two men, even though modern scholars tend to agree they were definitely guilty. Yeah hadn't even been indicted and yet we had high-ranking politicians and even members of the justice system there was one judge who was like nah, yeah yeah that's fine no oh my gosh let the lynch mob have them that's so crazy and after the lynching a lot of people had no regrets sunny jim called the lynching the best lesson california has ever given the country oh my gosh this is why i think it's so fascinating for a court podcast like, what the hell were these people thinking? It was the court of public opinion. Yeah. Good grief. Ooh. But other people disagreed. They thought the lynching was horrifying and risked setting a terrible precedent. Yes. Obviously, <laughs> President Franklin Roosevelt called it collective murder. Former President Herbert Hoover also spoke out and he, like, took Sonny Jim to task and was like, hey, you should not be advocating for lynch law. He fussed him out right there. He fussed him out right there. <laughs> And Sonny Jim fussed right back. But this is California, so I I don't think it counts as Southern, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, um, maybe half of it does. No, it's not Southern. How dare you? No. Okay, so they would never say fussed out. The case you said it in, they were in fucking England, so... Oh, yeah, I just said fussed out because... <laughs> Because of this man, this Southern man has rubbed off on me. A lot of people thought that the leaders of the lynch mob should pay for their crimes. Are there people they can single out? Well, interesting you should ask. Because, you know, a lot of people were there. Yeah. A lot of people witnessed it. There are photos. I saw freaking photos of this. Yeah. But it was kind of tricky because lynching technically was not a crime in California. What's that now? Yeah. So murder is, obviously. Beating someone up is. Breaking into a jail is. But the fact that lynching itself wasn't a crime would make this a little tougher to prosecute. Okay, then there was the other obstacle. Remember, the governor had promised that he would pardon anyone involved in the lynching. Uh, So, like, what's the point? What's the point? And there were quite a few other high-ranking officials in California who had zero interest in figuring out who led the lynch mob, let alone bringing them to justice. Right. But let me tell you something. The wheels of justice, they were a churning. John Holmes's parents brought a civil suit against Sonny Jim and said that he, along with some other parties, played a role in their son's death, which, I mean, absolutely. But then that governor dropped dead of a heart attack. Sonny Jim? Yeah. Wow. (laughs) So, Hmm. I mean... Well, I guess he had what he had coming, didn't he? No, I'm... Is that what you're saying, No, 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 no. (laughs) No, I'm just thinking, when some douchebag politician says, oh, go ahead and beat that guy up, do whatever you want, I'll pay for the legal fees or I'll pardon you, look out, that guy, you know, might drop dead in seven months. (laughs) That's just advice. Okay. (laughs) Just good advice. Just good advice. Uh, So that was the end of that lawsuit. But the governor's death meant potentially that the lynchers might finally face justice. It took a while, but they eventually arrested seven people who they believed led the lynch mob. 
but they didn't get any convictions. Yeah, I would think that'd be very difficult to Mm -hmm. prosecute. Then a man came forward and publicly said, hey, hey, I'm the one who led the lynch mob. What? It was me. That was me. So they arrested him, but they had to drop the charges with that one. Yeah. The following year, they brought together a grand jury. Do you say convened a grand jury? Sure. They, they They threw a grand jury party. Yeah. And even though... Thousands of people had participated in the mob, even though there were pictures of the hangings. No one knew who led the lynchings. Yeah. It was a total mystery, Brandy. Mm-hmm. It was a real whodunit. A real whodunit. So obviously, with no witnesses, they couldn't move forward. So everyone involved in the deaths of Thomas and John got away with it. Mm-hmm. Can you believe that there are people just walking around yeah. who participated in this thing and probably didn't feel guilt about it? I'm sure they didn't. John Holmes's estranged wife did sue the sheriff and a few deputies for negligence. She said they'd failed to protect her husband. I couldn't figure out how that lawsuit ended. I don't like that. Yeah. But I feel like it's one of those things where, by that point, Sonny Jim was dead, so she couldn't sue him. Right. But, I mean, I think the sheriff... Probably did all he could. I, I really, It really seems like he did... He asked for them to bring the National Guard in. Yeah. 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 He's supposed to fight off all those people himself? Yeah. Like, with, I don't know, 17 people? Yeah. Thomas's family never sued anyone. And apparently, they never discussed the kidnapping or Thomas's murder with anyone else or even amongst themselves. Wow. Which I think is... Wow. That's odd. Never even amongst themselves? That's... That's what it says. The Hart family sold their Hart's department stores in 1976. And that's the story of the kidnapping of Brooke Hart. I didn't know anything about that. I was fascinated and I I made room for it in our podcast because I know there wasn't a ton of court stuff, but I just, I think it had an impact on oh, the court yeah. system because obviously a lot of people have felt no guilt about this thing, but I think it, it says something that that's the last time that happened in California. Yeah. And I mean, I don't know of any more of them in the across the United States. Right. I'm sure they've happened, but oh, oh, yeah, they lynched uh, that Santa Claus guy. That's right. That's Santa right. Claus bank robber. What year was that? Was that 30s? Also? Yeah, I think it was 30s. Man, what the hell was going on in the 30s? Can't wait for a trial. No kidding. Swift justice. I'll say Santa Claus bank robber. 27. Mm. Yeah. Hmm. All right, Norm, you got some question for us? Some questions for us? Do you have some question for us? Some I do. Question. Do have quite a few questions. Ooh. Ooh. If you're wondering how these questions uh, come to be, Norm, you know, goes to our Discord to ask people to ask questions <laughs> at the end of these episodes. Let's try that again. Yeah, really. <laughs> try it with some energy. If you're time. wondering where these questions are coming from, they're coming from our Discord. At the end of our episodes, Norm goes and asks people for questions. To get in the Discord, you just have to join our Patreon at the $5 level or higher. And you get in the Discord, you get, you know, to talk to us, you get to talk to... What more could you want than to talk to us? Our (laughs) moms. You get to talk to Norm. You get to Mm -hmm. talk to other podcast fans. Mm -hmm. It's a good time. Mm -hmm. It's like a 90s chat room. A resident dairy expert, Fiery One, Mm -hmm. wants to know everyone's favorite board game. Mm, I love board games. You do. You're obsessed. I love board games. Uh, Is Trivial Pursuit considered a board game? Sure. It's a board. Yeah. Okay, the game we played with Kyla and Jay the other night. I know it's not technically a board game. Monikers. Monikers. I love that. I don't know what that is. It's very fun. It combines like charades. It combines taboo a little bit. Sort of, meh. Not really. But it's it's quite good. Yeah. Hmm? I also love taboo, which is not a board game, but 
Ugh. Yeah, let, let's consider it a board game. Mm-hmm. What sure. about you, Norm? I do love Trivial Pursuit, but growing up, I played a lot of Risk. Yeah, we love like Risk, Risk in my family. Kristen, not a fan of not Risk. Not a fan of Risk, Kristen? No, I was just thinking of this story. <laughs> what? So when you guys both said you love Trivial Pursuit, I was thinking of this really old Ellen DeGeneres joke, which is that stupid people hate Trivial Pursuit. And I think that every time I'm about to say that I hate Trivial Pursuit. <laughs> so... My dad just told me this story, like, this past week. Okay, so you know, obviously, that for, like, two and a half years of my childhood, we lived in Chihuahua, Mexico. Yeah. And while we were there, obviously, we went to school there. We went to this little private school. And I think it was, like, the second year we were there, uh, we got a new principal at the school. Mm-hmm. And I want to say that my parents had been, like, on the board of directors or something, or they were they were very involved yeah. in the school. And at some point it became clear, I don't know if we might have to cut all this out, but at some point it became clear that the principal wasn't great. Mm-hmm. All I knew as a kid was that like, he just wasn't a good fit, let's okay. say. Okay. And so I kind of knew that my parents had ushered him out yeah. or had, you know, brought about change. Yeah, been a part of, yeah. Okay, okay. Mm-hmm. I didn't know why. Uh-huh. So this week, my mom and dad call me up and they're like, hey. Do you remember taking an intelligence test when you were in Mexico? And I was like, I mean, not, not really. I get, I was in like second and third yeah. grade. So I, you know. Yeah. And I was like, I, I might have. I don't know. Here's how my dad knew this principal was full of shit. Okay. The principal calls up my dad and was like, oh my God, we've given everyone in the school an intelligence test. Uh-huh. And Kristen is a genius uh-huh <laughs> she is so smart she's the smartest kid in the school and don't you worry we are going to make sure that she gets all the extension she needs for her intellectual gifts uh-huh. blah 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 my dad knew that that couldn't possibly <laughs> be true he knew that the guy was sketchy oh as hell and trying to get on his good side. So the guy, so my dad was like, you know, I think I'd like to see that intelligence test. <laughs> the guy, I guess, was real hesitant. I'm sure he was because it didn't exist. Apparently he brought it out and my dad, I don't know if he saw my answers or my dad just looked at the questions and was like, I can't answer these and my dumb kid isn't, <laughs> isn't smarter than me. So anyway, that's the story that's about the story of how you found out you're not really a genius. You know what? I like to think that I was a genius, but my parents just didn't believe <laughs> in me. They stifled you. Yeah. <laughs> KLA2348 wants to know, what would you rather have? One real get-out-of-jail-free card or a key that opens any door? A key that, key that opens, opens any door, door obviously. Come on. That's not even a question. Easy. Yeah. But what are you going to use it on? Everything. Yeah, any all the door. doors. The thing is, like, if I were a jail frequenter, maybe I'd go for yeah, the... Yeah, never had okay. a run okay. okay. with the what jail. If, what if you could only use the key once? It's like you use it and it, like, poof, That's lame. disintegrates. Yeah. But it opens any door. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but only one time. Yeah. yeah. I, You've I, made this question lame, Norm. I've yeah, made it a lot harder. Ha- no, you <laughs> made it lame. I'm, I'm looking at the questions now because I'm... I'm very... You don't like that one, Christine? No, I'm kind of like, hmm. Well, I'll keep going. Okay, okay. Irma Gerd Kerberm wants to know, have you guys ever played an escape room? Oh, yes. Love escape rooms. I've gotten out of all but one. I've done several. It was just my basement. (laughs) (laughs) 
David and I did one with my sister Casey and James not too long ago. That's the most recent one that we did. And we set the record. I've set the really? record twice doing it. We did one with the salon for a Christmas party one year. And we set the record at that one, too. And the lady came in and she's like, like, we got out in like 33 minutes and you have like an hour. And she's like, oh, my God, you guys like blew the record away. <laughs> did you get the key to the city? That's right. So I'm I- now the mayor of Bonner Springs. <laughs> I have a terrible sense of direction and I'm not very good at trivia or anything. So I feel like for me, an escape room would just be like regular life. I mean, what do they even have oh, you do in so an escape fun. room? There's all kinds of puzzles oh, and riddles and terrible. Oh, it's the best. Let's go do one. Escape rooms are very fun. They're amazing. Okay. Kristen. I, they're I usually I'm busy that day. Well, they're, they're, they're usually themed. It's like puts you You've in a scenario. And no, you know I've never done Kristen! Okay, we're doing one. No. Yeah, they're a blast. Bonus episode idea, or oh, video idea. God. It would be good. Oh. Oh, I just got so excited! I did get so excited. Uh, Look at you. Uh, funny you say that, because um, uh, somebody commented that Escape Room Patreon bonus video would be amazing. Oh, Oh, all right. Uh, because you asked, we'll do it. <laughs> Not because it was my idea, and I'm so excited now. <laughs> uh, resident Canadian, Mark, mm-hmm. have any of you ever left the United States? Yeah. If so, where did you go? I went to Mexico, where I got an intelligence test, <laughs> and I passed with flying colors, Mark. Yeah, I've only been on like vacation to Mexico. Kristen, you've been like to Italy and... Yeah, so um, Italy, Greece, England, and Norway... South Africa. Oh, in South Africa. Thank you. Yeah. I've only been to Mexico. Mm. Yeah. You got to get you out. I know. Out on the town. Woo. And by the yep. town, I mean other countries. That's right. <laughs> if you could go on a double date with anyone or a couple in history, <gasps> who would it be? This oh. is from Min- Mindalive. Kristen and Norm. Aww. <laughs> we have the best time. We do have a really good time. <laughs> How sweet. <laughs> <laughs> No, that was a stupid answer. Uh, yeah, because you can do that anytime, anytime you want. We do that, like every Sunday. Yeah, I was gonna say like you can do it anytime, and we've done it many times. Hmm. Hmm. My tough thing is I really don't like meeting new people. So, <laughs> I mean, Zelda and Scott Fitzgerald. Oh, I'm, I'm sure we'd get blackout drunk and you know dance around town. Mm-hmm. But that sounds kind of scary. Yeah, so I don't I'll know do, about that. Charles Manson and his oh, Manson girl God. choice. Manson Curl of Choice. (laughs) Whoever you're into that day. That's right. Your forehead's not going to look good with whatever he wants to put in. X or Swastika, either one. I know. I'm probably not going to leave that dinner without getting in his cult. Exactly. (laughs) Yep. You guys want one more question? Sure, let's do one more. Uh, Kay Burns, who would you Freaky Friday with? Ooh. Ooh. For how long? Like, Well, in the movie, there was like, what, two days? Yeah, a couple days. Uh, I don't know. Or is it only one day in Freaky Friday? No, it was a couple days because... I thought maybe it's only one day. No, way too much happened in that for it to be less than a couple days. Hmm. Uh, Jennifer Lopez is the first person that comes to mind. I don't even know why. (laughs) (laughs) The president. Oh, no. Ew. Donald Trump? Yeah. Sounds terrible. I don't want to be your friend. (laughs) I would resign. All right. Make big, big moves. (laughs) You would just... Make some moves and then yeah, switch I w- back. I would just resign. Yeah, but what do you think he'd do in your body? 
I mean, I guess it wouldn't matter. I'm so much less important than the president (laughs) that, I mean, even if he went and shat in a bed, bath and beyond bag, like, what's that going to do to my reputation? I've already done that. Exactly. (laughs) People will be like, she's at it again. (laughs) Um, No, we I shouldn't make it political because people hate politics. I don't know. I know. That's a tough one. It is a tough one. I was thinking about if I Freaky Friday with Patrick Mahomes, like oh, right yeah. before the Super Bowl. Oh, God. Well, you can't do it before the Super Bowl, Norm. I know. Wouldn't it be hilarious? No. Like, out there, Mah- you can't. You Mahomes throws it is, three uh, feet and that's it. <laughs> Mahomes is. Well, no. I, I would get his arm strength. Would you? I know, you know? But you wouldn't have the, all no, the you know how. Because you wouldn't. Because freaking Jimmy Lee Curtis didn't know how to play the bass. Exactly. But, right, but that's like a mental thing. Like arm strength is a physical thing. You don't thing. think there's any mental aspect of there football? There is. I'm not saying I. I am not saying. No, 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 no. I'm saying. Have I you could, seen Freaky Friday? I'm saying I could throw I the ball he gets far. The concept. I could throw the ball far, but I would have no idea what I was doing. Yeah. So you wouldn't know the plays. You're right. So they would be like, "Oh, Mahomes." You'd be out there yelling Helen Keller, and you wouldn't even know what you're saying. Mm-hmm. Helen Keller. I want to know what that play is so bad. I bet it's offensive. I'm sure that it is. The commentators would be like, "Mahomes is 0 for 28 right now." <laughs> I don't know what's going on with him. You think you'd do that well in a professional football setting? That's no, 0-28. Is, I it know. means you haven't made a completion. Norman, I understand that that is terrible, but it would be you against like the best in the National Football League, and you think you would still perform that well? 0-28 oh, is... You, no, I think she's, she's I'm claiming so, that you'd be a pancake on the field. Yes. Like, I would, yes. Just, I would just die? Yes. yes. Absolutely. Like, in your fantasy, you're like, I'd do really badly, but I'd hold you're my say, own. You're saying no. I wouldn't even be able to throw the ball. You would you'd get sacked every time. I get sacked yes. every play. Yes. I, it's very possible. It's very possible. Here's a game me and my brother play, actually. We put ourselves in the scenario, in professional athlete scenarios, and we try to figure out how many attempts it would take us to do something. Mm-hmm. So, like, how many attempts, if, like, I was, I was a running back in the NFL tonight, uh-huh. how many attempts would it take for me to run three yards? Mm. Yeah, I'd never make it. <laughs> yeah. Or, like, catch a fly ball in baseball. Like, how many yeah. attempts would it take? I might be able to do that. I mean, I, if it came right to me. <laughs> I, I could never do anything. Like in, like in the Sandlot? You yeah, just hold the glove up? Horn, yeah, I mean, I played center field when I played softball, so. How long's that been, Brainy? It's been many moons ago, Kristen. <laughs> It'd take me a few tries. Several I, I, I played in an adult rec league for a little bit, too. Oh, yeah. Okay. Got hit with a line drive right in the leg. I have a permanent mark on my leg from it. Really? Yeah. It was the first time I ever played infield. I always played outfield growing up. Mm-hmm. And then I played infield as an adult, and I hated it. <laughs> Battle scars. Yeah, that's right. Well, that's all the questions we have. Take Those it away, ladies. Thank you. Time for some inductions. Oh, yes. Tell them how to get inducted, Kristen. Here's how you do it, folks. You sign up for our Patreon at the Supreme Court level. This week, we are doing favorite movies. What do you want people to do while we are inducting them? Get on your feet and jump around. Jump, <laughs> jump, jump. Excellent. Taylor Levy. Oh, no. Wrist Cutter's A Love Story. It's actually really good. Oh, okay. Yeah, she has a note here that says, sounds super morbid, is in fact cute as shit. Okay. Jamie Powell. Dirty Dancing. Shelly McNean. Step Brothers. Stacey Spradling. Fried Green Tomatoes. Ooh, that's so good. Becca Brainerd. Back to the Future. It should be um, Fargo because that takes place in Brainerd. Oh, I'm sorry, <laughs> Becca. You've got the wrong favorite movie, according to Brandy. <laughs> Lisa Ryder. Tommy Boy. 
Leslie Forstein. Want to try it again with confidence? Leslie Forstein. The Help. Lydia Bowis. The Fifth Element. Multipass. That's one of my favorite movies. Felicity Slosher. Tangled. Clam. (laughs) (laughs) On the Basis of Sex. Pong. Raising Arizona. Lisa Daly. Pulp Fiction. Welcome to the Supreme Court. My voice cracked in the middle of court. <laughs> did you hit puberty just I now? Just did, just wow. Now. <laughs> Congratulations, Brandy. Thank you. You're blossoming before our eyes. I love hearing people's favorite movies. I do too. Raising Arizona. I've never seen that. Oh, you have to see it. I so want good. to. So good. I've been watching a lot of movies lately. <laughs> Not that anybody cares. Or anything. Do you want to talk shut about them? What's, just... what, what's your favorite movie? My favorite movie? Yeah. Saving Private Ryan? Saving Private Ryan. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Kristen? Saving Private Ryan? No. <laughs> a, League, a League of Their Own? Oh, I do love A League of Their Own. Yeah, yeah, probably. Yeah, it's a good movie. Yeah. I have like 12, so it depends on my mood. Kind of like pizza. That's exactly right. Hey, guys. Brandy here. Thanking you for your support, just like Who? I do every week. Shut up, Kristen. <laughs> Thanks for all your support. If you're looking for other ways to support us, please find us on social media. We're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Reddit, Patreon, you know, all those places. And then please subscribe to us wherever you listen to podcasts and leave us a rating, leave us a review um, on Apple Podcasts. And then once you've done all that, be sure to join us next week. When we'll be experts. (laughs) First time you said that line, Kristen. (laughs) I'm sorry. For some reason, when every now and then when you say once you've done all that, Uh uh-huh. I'm like picturing someone who's like, I'd like to listen to the next episode, but I haven't done all the things yet. <laughs> <laughs> when we'll be experts on two whole new topics. Podcast adjourned. And now for a note about our process. I read a bunch of stuff, then regurgitate it all back up in my very limited vocabulary. And I copy and paste from the best sources on the web and sometimes Wikipedia. So we owe a huge thank you to the real experts. For this episode, I got my info from Wikipedia and the San Francisco Chronicle. And I got my info from the Dateline episode Scorned, iowacoldcases.org, thecharlieproject.org, and the Daily Nonpareil. <laughs> for a full list of our sources visit lgtcpodcast.com any errors are of course ours but please don't take our word for it go read their stuff you know i gave you a lot of shit this episode about not pronouncing things correctly and i don't even know how to pronounce that source so i love it (laughs) 